Come and go with me to that land. As visions go, vision being the theme for this month, that song contains a wonderful one, doesn't it? There'll be freedom in that land. There'll be justice in that land. There'll be singing in that land. Come and go with me. And I would hazard to say that for Unitarian Universalists, generally speaking, when we sing this song, we are imagining a world that can be. We are imagining that land in this life, on this earth, in a future that we believe can be. So we should know that the song comes from the African-American gospel tradition. We should know that it arose most likely not as a vision for what could be in this life, but out of the deepest hopes for the next life. Looking toward a reign of God that would end the unjust, unnatural, and almost unimaginable suffering inflicted on black people who were enslaved in this country, brutalized, dehumanized in this life, on this earth, in this land. We should know that the song apparently was first recorded by an African-American singer who went by the name of Blind Willie Johnson, a blues and gospel singer who recorded a total of only 30 songs in his life, but whose influence lives on to this day, covered by artists such as the Staples singers Peter, Paul, and Mary, Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, and Eric Clapton that one of his songs was included among only 27 that were sent into space with the Voyager probe to provide a picture of the human experience of life on Earth. That a tribute album came out in 2016 with such artists as Tom Waits and Lucinda Williams and Sinead O'Connor, and that a documentary series came out in 2017 called American Epic, telling the story of his song's inclusion on the Voyager. Why should we know that? Because we, generally speaking, culturally speaking, claim the music of Blind Willie Johnson as American music. We claim, in fact, that he speaks for the human experience of life on this planet. And yet, what do we know about his life? As we sing, there'll be justice in that land, can we reflect on how he was being treated in this land? We don't have a whole lot of information. We know that he was ordained as a Baptist minister, that he performed his music in churches and on street corners and in recording studios when possible, that he traveled throughout Texas during and after the Great Depression performing his music, and that he finally settled and opened a house of prayer in Beaumont, Texas. That in 1945, his house burnt down. But because he had nowhere else to go and no money to get there, he and his wife continued living in the ruins of the house. He contracted malarial fever and no hospital would admit him. Either because he was blind or because he was black, there were conflicting stories. But what does it say about our country's history that it seems most likely that he was refused admission because he was black? 
being blind seems like an odd reason for not being admitted to a hospital, but being black, well, for a too large swath of our history, that has been a reasonable justification for denying service of all kinds. Over the course of that year, Johnson's condition steadily worsened until he died on September 18th, 1945. Two days from now, this Tuesday, September 18th, is the 73rd anniversary of the death of blind Willie Johnson. There will be justice in that land where I'm bound. If we are to claim his music as part of this country's history, in addition to Go With Me to That Land, songs like I'm Gonna Run to the City of Refuge, and Lord, I Just Can't Keep From Crying, and Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground, that's the one that has now traveled well outside our solar system with the Voyager. If we are to claim his music as part of this country's history, then we must also clearly claim this country's history that found expression in his music, the real history. You see what I mean? Why should we think we get to pick and choose? If we are to sing, come and go with me to that land, then we must at least know where we have been, where we are coming from, where we are. And it is characteristic of humans, perhaps, that we are eager to claim group identity and shared history when we are talking about heroic and laudable acts. However, when it is harmful, destructive, dehumanizing, shameful acts, we retreat quickly into individuality. It suddenly becomes very natural to adopt I statements. I didn't steal land from native peoples. I didn't own slaves. I didn't lynch or humiliate or imprison or degrade or debase or dehumanize. That is not my America. Really? Do I get to choose an alternate history for my America? In choosing what to remember and what to forget, says Volker Benkert, we make a deeply ethical choice. And he noticed that in his native Germany, though people are acknowledging that it was not just high-ranking Nazis, but also ordinary people who made such horrendous crimes against humanity possible, they are also quick to construct apologetic narratives that offer an explanation for why Germans would participate in these crimes. And again, it is maybe natural that when I am confronted with something I have done wrong to explain why I did what I did. Rather than just sitting with the recognition of wrong, I wish to make it somehow right. I wish to make it at least correspond with a vision of myself. And I'm the kind of person who generally does good things, so there must be a reason why in this case I didn't. And it is maybe another trait of our species that when I offer such a reason, I tend to call it an explanation, whereas when you offer such a reason, I am more apt to see it as an excuse. Right? I mean, isn't it much easier to think about calling the Germans to take responsibility for the horrible crimes committed in their name? Whereas when accountability comes knocking at our shores, we tend to treat it as yes, Absolutely horrible, but thank God those days are over. And after all, I didn't lynch or humiliate or imprison or degrade or debase or dehumanize. 
But what about denying? Diminishing. No, we here today are not personally responsible for enslaving human beings, but we are responsible for telling the real story of ourselves as a country, as a nation. I am grateful to those like David Petit in the story you heard earlier and my friend and colleague, Reverend Ken Collier, in his book, The Great Wound, Confessions of a Slaveholding Family who have dug into their family histories to uncover the hard and painful truths about not only their history, but ours as a nation, as a culture, as a people. This is what happened. This is true. We are not talking about aberrations from the grand narrative of ever-expanding justice and ever-greater equity, but injustice and harm and hurt that is sewn into the fabric of this nation just as surely as our genuine and heartfelt desire for justice and compassion in human relations, just as surely as our capacity to tap the transforming power of love, just as surely as our genuine desire to make real division inspired by blind Willie Johnson of freedom in that land and singing in that land and justice in that land. But to do that, we have to get real. Collier writes, one cannot be responsible for the actions of another. I am not responsible for the sins of my ancestors. Only they can atone for what they did. But the context of their actions has remained unatoned for and even unrecognized by the European-American community all these years and has contributed to the racism that infects the world in which I live. This context lays upon my shoulders a responsibility to my society and to my descendants to work for a new world. I am called into accountability to work for that new world. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Without memories, human beings repeat mistakes again and again. Because we don't remember, writes Stevenson, I think we are living in this time of crisis. All the resistance to true accountability, those magical notions of a post-racial society and colorblindness and level playing fields and transcending identity politics, maybe that has all been blown away by the current state of affairs in our country, but maybe not. There is a built-in resistance, I know in myself, to uncovering painful truths, but it is precisely there where hope lies also. Brian Stevenson, who you heard from in the reading, is executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, where he and his colleagues have fought to reform Alabama's criminal justice system since 1989 by targeting racial discrimination. He tells a powerful story of being contacted by a man on death row scheduled for execution in 30 days who said his lawyers had abandoned his case and he needed representation. 
Stevenson discovered that the man suffered from intellectual disabilities and thus could not legally be executed. But after going to every possible court all the way to the Supreme Court, he was told the motion was too late and thus denied. Stevenson had to tell the man over the phone. And he listened for a long time as the man sobbed and asked Stevenson to stay with him as he tried to speak past his speech impediment and through the crying. It took so long that Stevenson says his mind wandered and he remembered a little boy he knew in church when he was a child. This little boy also had a stutter. And Stevenson's mother witnessed as Brian started to laugh at the boy and she told him to apologize She said, give that little boy a hug and tell him you love him. He remembered that and then his attention came back to the phone call where he heard the man say, Mr. Stevenson, I want to thank you for representing me. I want to thank you for fighting for me. Mr. Stevenson, I love you for trying to save my life. And he struggled with the horrible nature of that experience and the brutal realities of broken people being brutalized by a broken system. But he also eventually came to this realization. I realized I don't do what I do because I've been trained as a lawyer, he wrote. I do not do what I do because someone has to do it. I don't do what I do because it is important. I realized I do what I do because I am broken too. It is the broken among us that can teach us the way mercy can heal. It is the broken that understand the power of compassion. It is the broken that can teach us why justice is urgent in a society like ours. And it is in brokenness that we understand what our humanity is all about. End quote. So we look away from the realities of our histories, both communal and personal, at our own peril. Why dwell on the bad stuff, we say? Why wallow in guilt? Why should I risk seeing myself as broken rather than whole? Why dwell in the past when I could be creating a brighter future? If we run away from the realities of injustice, we are running away from the potential for justice. If we run away from the realities of violence inflicted, we are running away from the potential for peace. If we run away from the realities of dehumanization systematically carried out, we are running away from the potential for the transforming power of love. History, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived, but if faced with courage, need not be lived again. Lift up your eyes upon the day breaking for you. Give birth again to the dream.